Hey, everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 144 of the John Riley Project. How you doing, everybody? This is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Man, we're going to get into a lot of stuff today. We're going to talk about COVID and it's ravaging the economy. Uh, we're going to be breaking down some local issues that are going on in our community and how businesses and people are dealing with the the changes that seem to be happening all the time with the coronavirus. And, you know, somehow, some way, you know, these entrepreneurs have to figure out a way to win. You have to figure out a way to win. And so we're going to talk about a lot of different things as we get into this. And I also just want to say, hey, how you've all been? I, I haven't had a podcast episode in a long time. I've been given a lot of thought to the project. I, I really wanted to try out some new things. And heck, right now we're, we're live streaming for the first time. So hopefully this turns out okay. This is our first time doing live streaming on YouTube. I'm going to try to get into the hang of this. And then eventually we'll be simulcasting on both YouTube and Facebook. But, you know, we're kind of taking steps forward, which is all good. And I've been, as you could tell, kind of playing around with my studio, got a new camera, um, and really want to shift slightly some of the content we talk about, really making it always about how we can improve your personal life, your business life. I'll be sharing some of the things that I've learned along my way as an entrepreneur, as a you know, a guy in his mid-50s and things that I've figured out in my life, and definitely will be sharing those with you. And as we bring on guests, we hope that they're going to do the same. It's just to keep bringing you value, giving you valuable content on how to make your life better, you know? So this is the John Riley project. It's we're all it's all a development. It's all a work in progress. So yeah, it's a time of massive change, you know, and, and we're going through this big transition in the economy. I hope when you're going through this that you're not drifting, that instead you're hustling while you wait as you get through this um, and you have a plan and you're working on it. But it's hard to plan. I mean, right now, uh, look at what's going on with the economy. Now, Governor Gavin Newsom, the governor here in the state of California, is now doing what he's calling it's a it's a dimmer switch, right? He doesn't want to turn it on or off. He wants to slide it up, slide it down, kind of managing the economy as he goes. I mean, this is the very essence of a central planner, which is something I often object to. Uh, but that's what's going on. And so I think it was about last week or so, he, he announced that the California governor, Gavin Newsom, has reinstated a shutdown for indoor operations of restaurants, wineries, movie theaters, family entertainment, zoos, museums, card rooms, uh, plus bars have to close down all operations entirely. Um, so those other businesses just had to close down their indoor. Some are doing it outdoor and we're seeing that. Some entrepreneurs are adapting. I, Heck, I was in Carmel Mountain Ranch and I was driving by the Islands uh, restaurant and sure enough, they got tents and, and seating out in the parking lot. So Entrepreneurs are getting creative, trying to figure out their way through this. Um, but then in 30 counties in California, I guess there's like 58 counties, which is amazing. But there's 30 that are given extra special restrictions. I guess it's like double secret probation on Animal House. Um, but these 30 counties, including San Diego, um, are shutting down all fitness centers, places of worship, offices for non-critical sectors, personal care services, hair salons, barbershops, and malls. 
And I know that some of these things have been adjusted a little bit because people were, were freaking out. Um, now I think they're allowing um, hair salons to cut hair outdoors, um, but you can only cut hair. You can't do all the stylings that salons typically get involved in. Um, so their hands are tied behind their back. There's a woman who I know here in my hometown of Poway, and she owns a, um, a hair salon. And she was very outspoken on Facebook of how all she could do was cut hair. I mean, she couldn't do hair coloring and treatments and all the other special things that she does. So she's not even going to open. Um, and it's hard. I mean, as an entrepreneur, how do you manage this? Because they keep turning things on and turning things off. I mean, it's enough to make your head spin. I mean, we went through the shutdown that started in March. We started to climb out of that. I, when was it? Around June 1st, they started opening things up. And then, of course, you open things up. Of course, the, the cases are going to go up for COVID. And then now they're shutting things down. So, it's just it's really hard for businesses to manage their self their manage their way through it, especially mom and pop businesses. I'm enlisting these businesses here, barbershops, hair salons, personal care services. Um, these are restaurants. I mean, these are by and large local businesses. You know, meanwhile, the big corporate entities like Home Depot or Target or Walmart, they're open all the time. I mean, it's it's a. Um, uh, they're, they're essential businesses. They're, they've been given an advantage over all these small mom and pops. So it's an uneven playing field. I mean, it's just amazing. It's so difficult to manage. Um, and, you know, it didn't have to be this way. I mean, what they should have done in the very beginning was have a, a thorough testing process, then quarantine the people that legitimately – um, have the virus and then let everyone else, all the innocent people, all of the uninfected people should have been free to live their life according to their own values, to pursue their own happiness. Um, but instead, you know, the federal government completely bungled and, you know, kind of a, an orchestrated plan to do testing. And I'm not big on government intervention, but this is a case where I thought it made sense because it's almost like an invading army, you know, so you got to have a national strategy to this. But if they would have tested people aggressively, quarantined those that were tested positive, I mean, we would be on the downhill slope of this curve by now, for sure. I remember back in March, people were thinking the curve would be back down to zero as we got into early July. Um, but no, but no, I mean, it's just turned into a cluster. I mean, in fact, the federal government was offered testing kits from foreign nations and you know, President Trump refused them. And then the CDC or was it the FDA? One of them was supposed to be releasing testing kits. They bungled that process. Now the testing that's available, you got to wait seven to 10 days to get your result. And by that time, if if you were clean when you took the test, you might be infected now. And it, the, the delay makes the test almost useless. So it's it's just been a complete cluster the way this whole thing is managed. And you know, what do you do? I mean, to a large degree, the horses have already left the barn. So you're just left with, uh, you know, a, any number of bad options that are on the table. Now, the the one thing that's going on right now is, um, you know, everyone's freaking out about masks, right? And, you know, it seems like it's flaring up again as we're going through this second shutdown. Um, it's interesting to see people's perspectives on masks. And I... I've run into all the different categories. I mean, I know people that are just 
very religious, you know, very disciplined on wearing a mask and shaming people that don't wear masks. There are other people that do a very good job of wearing masks. Sometimes people are forgetful. There's other people that just don't care, you know, and they're just not playing along. And then there's other people that are just you know, darn well empowered to not wear a mask. No one's going to tell me what to do, you know, and you so I have all this whole spectrum of people and, you know, the science is pretty clear here. I mean, masks are going to help us get through this. I mean, masks by themselves isn't the solution. Obviously, you got to do the distancing and washing your hands, but it's almost like people have become militant about these masks in a weird, weird way. Now, a business, of course, can have a, they set their own terms and conditions for doing a business. So, you know, like when I go to Target down the street, they demand that people wear a mask to enter the store. And that's reasonable. It's their business, their place of business, and they can set the rules. But, um, and if I want to go in there and not wear a mask, they can refuse my business. They can escort me out. And I think that makes a great deal of sense. Um, you know, but there are other people that think that we need to be strictly enforcing masks when people are out in the public square, when they're going out for a, a walk with their dog and or if they're, you know, in a parking lot or at a park. You know, people think that the police need to be giving tickets or, God forbid, putting people in jail for not wearing a mask. And in my opinion, that's just way too far because, you know. The government plays a necessary role in this. I mean, we need a government to um, handle, to manage the bad actors, you know, but we don't want to have a government that's so aggressive that it's harming the good actors, that it's, you know, essentially violating the rights of innocent, uninfected people. And so it's it's tough to find that right balance. It really is. Now, what do I do? I mean, I wear a mask. I don't have a big deal. I don't have a problem with it. I mean... You know, it's not it's not that big of an issue. I mean, I'm I work from home. I'm home most of the time when I go out for a walk. No one's within 20 yards of me when I take a walk. So I have no need to wear a mask. But, you know, if I go into a store or I go into a restaurant to pick up some takeout food, yeah, I'll wear a mask and it's on for like 10 minutes. Big deal. Um, if I go visit one of my clients that happens to have their business open, I will wear a mask. I will follow their rules in their place of business. But, you know, some people say, well, you know, I have the right to not have to wear a mask. And you do have a right, but people around you have rights, too. The other guy has rights, too. And I think we have to respect that. And that's why I think it's the business has a right to set up their mask policies. And while other people don't they, they have a right not to be infected, but they don't have a right to force you to wear a mask um, when you're in the public square. And neither does the government. So I think we got to find that right balance. But, you know, there is no utopia. There are only trade-offs. There's no perfect solution, whether it's the, you know, the, the, the progressive solution, the science solution, the liberty solution, the individual rights solution. They all have pros and cons. And at this stage, you know, it's a matter of us just sort of getting through it. Um, like I said, the horse has already left the barn. We blew our opportunity to really contain this properly in February and in March. And it was clear failure of leadership 
to manage their way through the process. But now we've got local leaders that are trying to do things on their own. And here in the city of Poway, where I live, our mayor, Steve Voss, um, interesting character. He's the man in the cowboy hat. And um, he's, by the way, running for county supervisor. And he'll be on the ballot in November. He's got a tough race ahead of him. So he's trying to stay in the news. He's trying to look like the good guy pushing forward good policy, not just because he's the mayor of Poway and doing things for Poway, but he wants to look good in the face of all the voters of East County who he's going to be um, you know, asking for their vote. And it's interesting what's happening is that the city of Poway has now passed an ordinance that will allow the free use of public parks for churches or places of worship and for fitness centers. And some people say, oh, that's a wonderful idea. You know, we're we're going to let, you know, these these um, places of worship, you know, synagogues, habads, churches, um, temples, they, they can't be indoors. I mean, in fact, it's um, it's on Gavin Newsom's list that places of worship are not allowed. They're shut down. So people are thinking, well, yeah, just open up the parks and, and that'll be great. And then even for fitness centers, they're thinking, well, yeah, they could have, you know, their their you know, kettlebell classes and their yoga classes and just do it at the park. Sounds like a good idea, right? It does sound like a good idea, but what is it? I mean, what we end up having is special favors for special interests. So now a church or a fitness center, now the city is kind of bending over backwards and helping them, but they're not helping out any other businesses. So you end up with this you know, inequality before the law. And I, I'm a big advocate that that government should be agnostic towards business. In other words, government shouldn't be picking winners and losers. Government, uh, government shouldn't be tilting playing fields. Government should have a consistent policy across the board for all businesses. I mean, so by opening up the the parks to places of worship and fitness centers, well, There are other types of businesses that are being shut out completely and they have no options. So to me, this this is a do gooder thing. But I don't know if we've thought it all the way through or maybe our city council just is trying to get the benefit of a feel good, but isn't so concerned about the disproportional aspect of this. Um, so I, I know I have, a, I have a pretty big problem about it, but it's interesting, too, that a lot of neighbors were upset about this. You know, a lot of the chatter on Facebook, people are saying, oh, my God, the churches are going to be there Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Amplification. <laughs> the neighbors are going to go crazy. And this will be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but other people brought up an interesting point is that, you know, we all homeowners, um, business property owners, we all pay property tax. But churches don't pay property tax, but they are given access to the parks for free. And then if we want to organize some kind of an event like, you know, before COVID, you know, if we wanted to have a, you know, some kind of an event at the park, we had to get permits, pay fees and everything else. Well, now they still have to do the permitting process, but now it's free. So you're thinking, wait a minute, you know, these are people that don't pay property taxes. Um, That seems pretty uneven. Um, And then on top of it, this is, you know, they're essentially encouraging large gatherings of people outside, which they've been expressly told not to do. 
um, not to have large groups. And yeah, sure, people could be spaced out, but it's almost like um, the, it hasn't been fully thought through. Um, so this is so common where you have do-gooders in government that that try to do the right thing. But they end up just distorting the problem. It's like a balloon, you know, like one of those party balloons that are in the shape of a a horse or a dog. And you squeeze on the balloon on one side and then the other side blows up. And then government goes in and tries to squeeze that part of the balloon and the other part distorts and blows up. And they end up with this crazy situation. And I think that is what the city of Poway is creating for itself. I mean, they did it even very recently. Um with these picnic benches. Again, this sort of outpouring of doing good where the city government said, well, since restaurants can't have customers indoors, we'll buy benches and we'll pass them out to all the restaurants and they can have their customers seated in the benches, um, you know, during this pandemic. And then when the pandemic's over, we'll just reallocate all the benches uh, to the parks and they can be used there. Again, sounds nice, right? Sounds like a very benevolent thing to do. But what what ends up happening, again, it's the government is giving special favors to restaurants, but they're not giving special favors to dry cleaners. (laughs) They're not giving special favors to other categories of business. It's inequality before the law. Um, So it's just it's interesting how this is all playing out. Now, here in the city of Poway, like I said, I think. The our our mayor has a, another layer of motivation. He's not trying to necessarily only win the approval of of the people in Poway to do what he thinks is right in Poway, but he's trying to get some publicity for his campaign for county supervisor. So to me, a lot of this is calculated in how he goes about it. Um, but again, it's it's this this notion of of doing good, but distorting the playing field and um, and offering special favors to special groups. And I, I like I said, I think government needs to be agnostic, equality under the law, you know, treat everyone equally under the law. Um, but, you know, people demand government. They, they, they demand do something, do something. And then they end up doing these nutty things. So at least I, I am pleased that you know, some of these businesses are figuring out creative ways to kind of work their way through this mess. Um, and it's, you know, it's not easy. Like I said, I, I drove by Islands. Um, you know, it's like a little burger and and beer joint <laughs> right near the Costco in Carmel Mountain. And, yeah, they had some tables and some uh, pop-up tents, and, and that seemed to work pretty well. Um, but then you, you think about it, like, what would you do if you owned a bar? Okay, let's say, you know, like most tavern on The Simpsons, let's just say you opened a bar and you didn't serve food. You just served beer and, you know, some drinks. Maybe you had a couple of pretzels or peanuts on the bar. You're shut down. What do you do? And I was thinking to myself, what would I do? And you know, here's a crazy idea is I was on Facebook and one of my buddies from high school had shared this post and it was a person that had gotten one of those um, tiny homes. Um, I'm not sure if it was, yeah, like a full tiny home or if it was really like a glorified tough shed, but it was like a small space and had 
transformed it into like a neighborhood bar. It was totally cool setup where he had the bar, the bar stools, the big screen TVs, um, the bar back. He had tables and dart boards. And it was in this little tiny home in the backyard. And it was very, very well done. And my friend from high school said, are they, do they sell like a kit for this, like a turnkey kit? If so, I'd buy one of those. And I was thinking, yeah, you know, if, if I happen to own a bar, that'd be an interesting way to sort of shift gears during this COVID um, situation because they have access to all the, that product, um, not just the, the beer and liquor, but all of the, the decorations, the decor, the furniture. I mean, they, they know where to get that at a good and attractive price. That seems to me a pretty interesting way to kind of maneuver or to outsmart, um, you know, your competitors and have something really fruitful to do um, during this pandemic, during this shutdown. So will people be doing that? I don't know. It's, you know, it's a big leap, but I don't know. I just thought that was a creative idea. All right, let's um, let's talk a little bit about the schools. And this is another interesting topic because. Here, you know, President Trump and the Republicans are demanding that the schools need to open. Um, we need to have kids in there um, for in-person classes. And it it just I mean, I kind of smirk when I hear that, because usually it's, you know, our conservative friends, my friends on the right that sees, you know, public schools as sort of left wing indoctrination facilities. Um, but they're demanding that the children go there. Um, and at the same time, you've got. um You've got teachers that don't want to go back to school because they don't want to be put at risk. You've got parents that are obviously very concerned about the health and safety of their children. Um, You have other parents that um, want their kids to go to school for all of the reasons um, that it makes sense to be in school. And they're not as concerned with the risk level because they know children have a far lower probability of being infected. And then there are other parents that, you know, their hands are tied. They're trying to work. But they now no longer have the ability to use um, schooling as sort of a daycare. And so now they're scrambling. They're hoping schools are open. But, you know, so people are all over the map on this. But what's interesting is that the L.A. um, Unified Teachers um, Union, they demanded that – not just that to open schools did they have to hit certain health care benchmarks, you know, in terms of infection rates and, and that sort of thing. But the L.A. Unified Teachers Union also demanded in order to open up the schools a range of societal programs like a moratorium on charter schools and higher taxes and all of this. They were demanding that in order to open up the schools. And I was thinking, Oh, my God. I mean, it's, it's, it becomes politicized. I mean, education, it, it shouldn't be politicized, but it is. It always has been. But then you have, you know, these very progressive unions that are trying to leverage the situation to try to get more funding so they could put more money in their pocket. Um, and they also want to shut down their competitors. So, you know, here at LA Unified wanted a mor- moratorium on the opening up of more charter schools. Um, but in the end, what what's happened now here in San Diego County is they've decided they're going to go online only. Um, and I, did that come from... Uh, the governor, I can't recall, but I know that our local school district, Poway Unified, 
um, they will be going online only. They had originally um, they had originally opened up a Braxis High School. And I think after one or two days, they had to shut it down because of, of this uh, new rule. But in the end, I think now Poway Unified is going to have to go online and they stumbled and bumbled and tripped and fell as they tried to roll out their online curriculum in the spring. I'm not sure how well prepared they are for an online curriculum here in the fall. I would hope that they're further down the line, but I don't know. But what's interesting is, is that we're seeing a lot of parents that are rightfully concerned. And some parents are pulling their children out of Poway Unified and actually taking them to charter schools, which is interesting. Some of these people I would consider politically to be very, very progressive. And yet they're pulling their children out of a um, public school and putting their child in a charter school because that charter school is so much better prepared for online education. Um, and, And even some parents are, you know, starting to take a closer look at homeschooling, looking at alternatives, because they know they don't want to send their child back to school if it's a bumbling, stumbling online rollout. They also don't want to send their children back to school if they have to go into 30 students in a classroom. They're looking for alternatives. But what's interesting is that the teachers union in Los Angeles wants to prevent more alternatives. They wanted a moratorium on more charter schools. So again, all these interests fighting each other, battling each other. Um, Poway Unified, I think they're hoping they're going to open up in early September, which will be a few weeks of a delay um, online to start with. And I guess we'll see what happens. Um, They've already shut down all the sports for the fall. That's going to be interesting how they manage through that. I think the the sports are all going to happen in the spring and maybe the winter. I can't recall. But that's going to be very disruptive to student athletes, especially student athletes that play multiple sports. You know, are they going to be able to do, you know, football, which is normally a fall sport? If they do football in the winter or spring, can a football player also play baseball or basketball at the same time? That'll be interesting to see how they manage through that. Um, But yeah, but even on an academic level, who knows when they're going to open up the schools back to so-called normal? I think we're going to find out on this. But yeah, what's what's coming next Um, in this economy? I mean... We're kind of getting by, but it still feels like smoke and mirrors. Doesn't it feel that way to you? I mean, because the unemployment rate right now is huge. I mean, last week, 2.2 million people filed unemployment claims. That means there are 32 million people that are on, that are getting unemployment checks. 32 million in the United States. Now, in, I looked those, these numbers up. In February, the labor force was 164 million, which was at one of its all-time highs or close to it. Um, and if you take 32 million divided by the 164 million in the labor force, 32 million getting checks, unemployment checks, that means we have a 19.5% unemployment rate. That's like 20%. I mean, it's insane. Now, the Bureau of Labor Statistics says it's only 16.4%. And in California, it's 149 But still, during the Great Recession, the unemployment rate was like 10%. So we're like 
at least 50% greater than the Great Recession, potentially as many as twice as bad with unemployment. The Great Depression, you know, back in the 1930s, the unemployment rate was 25%. So, yeah, I mean, we're like, we're closer to Great Depression unemployment than we are to Great Recession unemployment. And obviously, nowhere near where we were with unemployment before COVID. And with unemployment at the Gosh, before COVID, what was it? Like 3%, 2 point something percent? It was ridiculously low. Um, so what's going to happen? I mean, right now you got people getting $600 a, a week checks. And when you're getting that kind of money, you know, you, you don't have as much pressure to go out and work. You know, for a lot of people that, you know, are of modest means, in some cases, $600 a week was more than they were earning in their job. Um, but at any rate, those those checks are supposed to end on July 31st. I mean, what's today's date? Today's the 21st. So they're going to end in 10 days. Can you imagine if that ends in 10 days? It's going to be like financial Armageddon. I mean, people aren't going to be able to pay their rent. People are going to be struggling to, you know, make, I mean, we have 20% of the people in the workforce that are getting unemployment checks and they'll be suddenly out on the street. So- my sense is, is that they're not going to let this um, go. I mean, they're, they're going to they're gonna have to have another round of stimulus funding, of unemployment funding. And I know that's being discussed. I know that there's different motivations in Washington, D.C., but they'll probably wait till last minute or near last minute, you know, because that's when they can usually push it through when there's a sense of urgency. And then what's going to happen with um, with businesses? Is there going to be a whole nother $500 billion per, uh, President Trump personal slush fund that he can hand out to his friends? More of that. Is there going to be more of that PPP? What was that? Paycheck Protection Program? Is there going to be another round of that? I don't know. Um, my small business did PPP. Um, and essentially, you get that that basically covers your um, uh, your payroll um, and some additional expenses for about, God, what was it? Was it eight weeks or 10 weeks? Um, and um, I signed up for it and I got it. I figured, hey, if they're handing out money, I'm going to take advantage of it, especially if they know that that money is going to be potentially forgiven as long as you follow the rules. And that's the that's the lane I've been staying in. But for me, you know, I'm I'm not big on a lot of these redistribution programs, but I figure how much money has been taken from me over the years, over the decades, I would be a fool not to be able to try to get some of it back. I mean, in many ways, it's like restitution. It's like justice <laughs> to get back some of your own money that was taken from you in the first place. So I, I took advantage of PPP. I'm curious to find out if they're going to have another round of it um, because – I mean, heck, a lot of these other businesses are, you know, they're, they're trying to do business with one arm tied behind their back. It's not like their rent payments go down. I mean, they've got to figure out a way through it. Um, you know, it's hard, too. I mean, you imagine if you're like a restaurant and you get the shutdown order, and then you get the opening order, but you can only open with social distance tables. I mean, how do you staff for that? And I mean, I was talking to a restaurant here in Poway. I was actually over at... Um, uh, Taco Taco, which is in the Walmart shopping center, getting tacos actually on Cinco de Mayo. I remember I was there. And while I was waiting for my order, I wandered over to the players 
what is it called? Players Bar and Grill or Players Lounge. It's like a sports bar um, right next door. And they were selling bottles of booze. I mean, trying to make money was interesting. And I talked to the owner and I asked him, um, how are you handling this? He goes, right now we're fine because he didn't have a staff. It was just him. And he, and he said, well, when we open back up and if we can only open at 25%, 50% capacity, he said, I'm going to be losing money because I've got to staff up and I can only do it with one arm tied behind my back. I mean, I still have to have a cook on hand. I still have to have a bartender on hand. I've got to be mostly fully staffed, even though I only can serve a, a far less number of customers. But then imagine if he staffed up, he's losing money, and then he's been told, and now you got to shut down again. <laughs> and you can't be – he be, ends up treating his employees like game pieces, like pawns on a chessboard. And it, it's just this on again, off again. It's you know Newsom and his dimmer switch. Um, the whole thing is just a mess. Uh, but how, how are you adapting to this? Are you trying to get through this? What are you doing? I remember I, I read a book. It was like one of these really simple kind of corporate management books a long time ago. It was called Who Moved My Cheese? And it's just kind of a, a very, very light business book. But it was all about how, you know, in the business world, we kind of get into certain patterns, certain rhythms of how we do business. And then suddenly something changes. Something disrupts our world. Um it's almost like we're a mouse in a maze that would always, like Pavlov's dog, we would, we would always go to that one spot in the maze and get our cheese. But now someone moved the cheese. Now what do you do? Now how do I handle this? In this case, how are you handling it um, when the rules are changing? Um, and and once we come out of this, you know, it's not like we're going to go back to normal, whatever normal is. Normal is going to be very different. Um I think we're going to be seeing a lot more um, distance working, you know, remote working, working from home, telecommuting, which, by the way, I think is going to be one of the, the silver linings of this whole crisis. We're going to have greater work-life balance. We're going to have less people on the roads, less pollution, less traffic, less stress, less wasted time commuting. Um, that's going to be a great thing. But what else? I mean, there is going to be a need for people to have multiple income streams because you know you can't depend on one because that one could be turned on or off depending on what Gavin Newsom does with his dimmer switch. And then suddenly you're you're jacked jacked around. You got to hopefully get in with the government. Maybe you get some handouts there. You're, you don't know what to do. You know, so you need to have multiple streams of income as you go through this just to protect yourself. So all your eggs are not in a single basket. Um, that's why I thought it was kind of a neat idea for those bar owners to have that extra side business of building custom bars for customers. I, I, I still think that's kind of a neat idea. Um, but that might be just in my brainstorming world. It's easy to come up with the ideas. It's harder to implement them. And I, I admit to that. Um, but yeah, as we go through this, um, yeah, well, it's, it's going to be great. As we go through this, we're going to be learning and we've got to develop more skills. And, I, and this is what I really want to get to is this whole piece about skill development. Before I, I want to look, I want to look over here at my computer and, you know, we're doing live streaming and, you know, we got people watching right now live online. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to start live streaming is I want to be able to take questions um, from the audience. And 
especially when we have guests, I want to be able to take questions. So I'm kind of in my initial foray into this. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you for those of you that are watching right now on our live stream on YouTube. So that's great. Um, but anyways, let's talk a little bit about skill development because, you know, as we're going through this pandemic, some of us have a little more time on our hands or maybe time at home. We need to be developing new skills to make us more marketable, more valuable in the marketplace so that we can take advantage of new opportunities. And here's a great quote from Robert Greene. He's an American author known for his books on strategy and power and seduction in the world of business. And he says, the future belongs to those who learn more skills and combine them in creative ways. So, you know, I, I just wrote a blog article about this. It's on my website. If you go to johnreillyproject.com and look in the menu and there's a blog uh, section there, I, I just wrote this art, uh, article and I'm hoping to write a lot more blogs about this, um, about personal development, about um, professional development. And this kind of falls in the category of things I wish I knew when I was younger, you know, in terms of you know, the the advice you get from people as you're growing up and, you know, you hear different things. And they, these are things I really wish I would have learned more clearly when I was younger. And the first is, is really to have certain tangible skills. I mean, absolutely. This just seems rather obvious, right? I mean, if you're going to go to college, get a degree that gives you a tangible, marketable skill, like accounting, like um, coding, like um, nursing, um, or develop skills in sales and marketing. You got to have skills to be able to go out in the marketplace and earn a good income. But some people are, you know, they're like Wayne Gretzky. What was that quote he had? It was um, skate to where the puck is going to be. You know, they maybe, maybe you want to develop skills that are in demand now, but are going to be greatly in demand in the very near future. Things like blockchain, cloud computing, AI, video production. These are skills that you can learn a lot of this on your own. Um, you can learn a lot of this by going back to school. In some cases, some of this is online learning where you're going to be able to take advantage of this, whether it's college courses or independent classes. Some of these skills are definitely very learnable on your own. Um, but when, you know, if you roll the clock back when you were a teenager, did you really think in these terms? Now, I didn't. I knew I had skills and I learned skills along the way, but they were mostly just skills that were maybe necessary to do a job or they were skills that I learned because they were things that I enjoyed doing. Uh, but I don't know it's, it's interesting that when you look back on this, like when I was 12 years old, I had a paper route. And I was a paper boy for the San Francisco Examiner. And I had that paper route for two years. And looking back on it, it's it was actually, I learned a great deal. I, I learned to, you know, show up on time every day, seven days a week, be dependable. And if I couldn't get my job done to find someone else that could substitute for me, um, I had to go every month to visit every one of our subscribers and collect money. And it was just amazing to think about this. This is like in 1977, 1978. And here I am going door to door in my neighborhood at night with cash on me, um, collecting. I mean, in today's world, we would think that would almost be, you know, setting up your child for, you know, 
child cruelty or something. Um, fortunately, I I was okay. Um, I got through that just fine. But I had to like build relationships with customers. I had to, you know, manage my money. I had to account for my money. I had to um, add up all my revenue. I had to uh, prepare my bank deposit. I remember my parents helped me out with that. And then um, I had to go and make the deposit at the bank. And then what was left over was my money to keep. And that was actually a pretty good job when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old. And, um, but you know, what's interesting is I, I ended up, my second job I got was as a dishwasher at a place called the Tam Tam Coffee Shop, which was on Broadway in Burlingame. And at the time, the minimum wage was $3.35 an hour. And I was 14 years old, so I couldn't legally work there. I had to be at least 16 or maybe even 15 and a half to get a work permit. But I knew a guy who worked there that ended up getting me the job. And the owner and I worked a deal, and he paid me under the table less than minimum wage. I was making $2 an hour. And it was still more than I was earning on my paper route for less time. Because I remember I worked five hours on Tuesdays. And five hours on Thursdays, I did $10, or excuse me, 10 hours a week. So what is that? $20 a week. I made 80 bucks a month. And I remember when I had my paper route, I made about that, but I had to work seven days a week. Um, and and um, this, I remember it was just the greatest thing because it freed up so much time. And I was able then to invest a lot of it um, into doing a lot more bicycle motocross. So it worked out terrific. But I guess the point is when I was really young, I was learning skills. And then all my, you know, when I was really uh, into bicycles, I learned about bikes. I developed skills that allowed me to work at a bike shop. Um, I, did, I learned sales and repair and service and it was terrific. But I never really thought about it strategically. I never really thought about it in terms of what do I want to do in my future? What are some of the skills I need to develop? And, you know, maybe I'm thinking, you know, I'm 15 years old and maybe it's still too early to think that way. But I would still think I, my advice if to, you know, to a teenager or a young adult, you know, find a mentor, you know, find someone that can really guide you, that can give you advice um, on career, give you advice on what to study in high school and college. Um, that can be so helpful. Um, find ways to monetize your hobbies. I mean, I did that in terms of transforming my my love of bicycles into a job at a bike shop. But I know there's a there's a kid here in town. In fact, the son of the mayor, um, when he was in high school, he was earning money, you know, just doing photography and videography and um, writing stories. And he was just this creative sort uh, making money in high school. And then he ended up going to college and um, pursuing um, a, he's now out of college. and He's pursuing a career up in, um, you know, in the film industry. And. Wow, he was able to transform his hobby, monetize his hobby, and turn it into something that could put cash in his pocket. So just that that entrepreneurial mindset to me, um, I think that's just a, a really important mindset to learn about so that you can go about building skills. And, you know, even for a corporate employee, I mean, you get into the corporation, you're in the corporate world and you're kind of learning your job and trying to be good at your job. And, but I know for me, like when I, um, you get married and you have children and your priorities kind of change and then you're not really learning as much, you know, you kind of, from a corporate perspective, I remember I drifted a little bit during that time. Um, 
but for, for rightful reasons, you know, I was a new parent and, you know, my wife and I are trying to figure out how to raise children. Um, but it's still in the corporate world. It's just so important to keep learning, um, to, you know, try to become that one employee that's just irreplaceable. You know, when, you know, we go through a situation like this with COVID and the shit hits the fan, you know, be the person that the owner can't get rid of because you are critical to the operation of that business. And that's why it's important to have skills in various aspects of the company. It's, it's, it's good from a defensive perspective, but also from an offensive perspective. Um, and then even as an entrepreneur, you know, keep evolving your business. You know, sometimes when you start up a business, you just, it takes so much effort to come out with your own sets of products and services to be able to, you know, recruit customers, recruit employees and start building something. But then it's easy just to sort of stay in that same sandbox as an entrepreneur. You have to keep evolving and you can only do that by learning, by by building more skills as an entrepreneur and by recruiting more skills in terms of the people you hire. So I encourage you to go out and check out my blog article at johnreillyproject.com. And, you know, it's all about skill development. And I just think this is something that I hope will be more of what I'll be able to talk about in this podcast is um, things that we can focus on in our life to improve ourselves at both a personal level and a professional level. And here I'm just really touching the tip of the iceberg. Um, but I but I would say this. I mean, as we're going through this pandemic, hustle while you wait, man. I mean, keep learning, keep growing, and keep building those skills. Um, okay, so what else do you want to talk about? You know, if you want to get on our mailing list, go to johnreillyproject.com and slash subscribe. There you can get on the mailing list. And you can check us out on social media. You know, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Reach out and uh, and share your thoughts and and maybe even reach out if you're here on YouTube Live. And we're hoping to really turn this live, um, you know, this live streaming into something kind of special. I think it'll be kind of fun so that you and I, we can engage and learn from one another. And I want to close this podcast episode out with a quote from the great um, NBA player, um, uh, what was it? The Hick from French Lick, uh, Larry Bird. And he said, a winner is someone who recognizes his God-given talents, works his tail off to develop them into skills and uses those skills to accomplish his goals. That's a great piece of advice. So Larry Bird on the John Riley Project. So thank you very much for listening. Thanks for watching. Um, really looking forward to kind of getting into this world of live streaming. Looking forward to kind of moving this podcast further forward. I took some time off to kind of relax, play around with the set. I got a new camera. Um, just experimenting with things. That's why it's the John Riley project. To me, it's a project. And I'm learning as I go. I'm having fun as I go. I'm sharing what I learn as I go. And a lot of the things that I'm learning along the way, it's beneficial to me as well as it's beneficial to you. Or at least I hope it's beneficial to you. Um, so anyways, thanks, friends. Episode 144. We'll see you around. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.